All the church said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. Thank you, guys. And uh, you brought a Bible with you. Say amen. And uh, 1 John chapter 2 will be our text today, 1 John chapter 2. Now, so far we've been going through this uh, particular letter verse by verse, and we've learned a couple of things over the past couple of weeks. Remember, I drew two circles for you up here on the stage. One of those circles actually represented the fact that God has a plan for your life. And his plan is pretty simple. God wants you to absolutely depend upon Jesus for the salvation of your soul. So not depending on baptism or church membership, but Jesus alone who died on the cross for your sin was buried and resurrected. When you trust in him and it is genuine, God puts a desire in your heart to mature spiritually, all right? So that's the second phase of God's plan. He wants you to develop spiritually. And then finally, he also wants you to become a dynamic influence. So you're seeking to reach those who are outside of the faith. You're also seeking to invest in those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So that's God's plan for your life. That is his will, his purpose, his pleasure. But we also know that the devil has a plan for your life. Jesus describes the devil in the New Testament as the God of this world system. And so he has put together a world system to entice every single one of us to follow after him. And that world system is made up of three components as well, according to John. We called it undocked living last week. Undocked living, that's living based upon your feelings instead of based upon your faith. And then as you continue in that system, you are caught up with the lust of the eyes and you begin to live a life with careless thinking. So you make decisions without any consideration whatsoever of the consequences of those decisions. And then finally, when you're caught up in the world system, you begin to live with this idea that you should constantly brag on yourself, brag about what you have, what you possess, your job, your titles. So it's all about appearance. You're trying to outshine everybody else. Now, John this morning in 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 24, is actually going to tell you and I that we need to be gripped by the plan of God. That is, we need to be passionate about what God has called us to do with this concept of absolute dependence, spiritual development, and dynamic influence. And so as we look at it, we really ask the question, why? Why does God want us to be gripped by this plan? And uh, John's fixing to answer it for us. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet if we will this morning. First John chapter 2, verse 18. You've got it there. Say amen. Uh, the Bible says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, now even many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it will be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, I'm not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And then verse 24, as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Well, let's bow together. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we want to ask that we would not just be merely hearers of it, but we're also doers. So even as we walk through this text today, help us to ask the question, how can I apply this to my life? Father, we want to be transformed by your divine word and the power of the Spirit. 
So God, I pray for this uh, particular service. And I ask that the Spirit of God right now will just begin to work in hearts. And God, I pray for those who are distracted by the busyness of this world, who this morning have more things on their mind than simply focusing on you. God, I pray right now that they would just focus in on what you would have for them. Lay aside all those distractions. And God, I also pray for those who have not yet come into a relationship with you. Father, only you can draw them. So I pray this morning that you would do that supernaturally and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. So we're going to ask the question, why should we be gripped by God's plan? Why? Because you're all curious, right? You want to know why? Why should you really be caught up in absolute dependence, spiritual development, and dynamic influence? Well, there's three reasons that John gives us here, and the very first reason is pretty simple, because time is running out. Time is running out. So look at your Bible again at verse 18. The scripture says, children, it is the last hour. Now, notice that little phrase, the last hour. You and I don't use terminology like this anymore, but in that particular society, they were uh, living in an agricultural uh, society. So as a result, the last hour was a big deal to those that would have been reading this letter. The last hour described the time frame that they would have one more hour left where there was sunlight. So their time to do work in the fields was very short. So that's the idea of the last hour. Now John is taking that very uh, current concept in their culture and he's baptizing it, all right? Now he's making it spiritual. And he's saying here, you are living in the last hour. The lights are just about to go out. Now, John really could be uh, writing to two categories of people, all right? He could be writing to those who are unbelievers, those individuals who have not placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ yet. So they listen to the message of Jesus, and they're like, no, thank you, and they continue to live in this world system. Well, the Bible says that this world system is actually perishing. It's walking out the door. And those who have not trusted Jesus Christ as the Savior of their life will also walk out the door with the world system and they will perish, listen to this, in eternal darkness in hell. So that's what our Bible teaches us. That's what Jesus teaches us. And so whenever we think about this last hour, he's saying you, for some of you, are in the last hour where the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still shining where the light of the New Testament church is still shining. You're in the last hour, time's just about to run out on you, bro, and you're about to perish into eternal darkness. So that is the challenge for those who would be unbelievers. And I would say to you this morning, eyeball to eyeball, that if you've not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, the, the time is short, man, all right? Your life is but a vapor. And just as the world system will perish, you will also likewise perish if you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way that your sin can be forgiven and your life can be changed. So that's the message. It's time is short. It's the last hour. But he's also writing to believers. So whenever we consider the message that he is writing to believers and he's saying the last hour is upon us, he is saying to those who know Jesus, time is short. You only have a short amount of time to be involved in God's routine plan for your life. 
You've got a short amount of time to walk in absolute dependence on Jesus. Short amount of time to be developed spiritually. Short amount of time to influence others for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So your time is running out. So that is a challenge to enthusiastically do what God has called you to do. Be faithful and steadfastly devoted to his plan for your life. So that's the challenge. So you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. Listen, your time is very short. You don't know how much time you have left. I don't know how much time you have left. But you do not want to spend your life doing anything other than what God has saved you from your sin to do. You want to make sure that you're involved in God's routine for your life. And eyeball to eyeball, listen, if you're not involved in that routine, then there's only one other option. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, you're outside the parameters of his will for your life. And as a result, you are tiptoeing in this world system. And look look at the preacher, man, I'm just trying to help you here. One day you're going to see the Lord. Even as a follower of Jesus, you're going to be judged based upon your service to him. When you see him, I don't want you to be embarrassed. We're going to talk about this next week, but I'm just going to preach a little bit of it now. Y'all with me? I don't want you to be apologetic about your life. I want you to be able to run to Jesus with great confidence, knowing that you have been doing what God has called you to do. Absolute dependence, spiritual maturity and growth, and dynamic influence. That's for every single one of us. So John says, children, we're in the last hour. Now, if we're studying this text, we're going to ask the question, how does John know that? I mean, how is John so uh, smart about this concept of it being the last hour? He continues and tells us there in verse 18. Look at it again. He's like, children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared from this. Notice that little phrase there. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Now, I want you to think about this, all right, because John, really, he brings about two categories of people again. First of all, he talks about the Antichrist proper, the Antichrist in the future who is actually going to come to this earth, all right? The Antichrist is coming. So he says, you already know about the Antichrist. Now, just very quickly, the Bible teaches about the Antichrist in many different portions of Scripture. So we see the Antichrist mentioned in First and Second Thessalonians. We see him mentioned here in First John. We also see him clearly mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, in the book of Revelation, John, by the way, who was the revelator, wrote about the fact that there is an unholy trinity at work. Unholy trinity. Think about the holy trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the devil is not original, all right? So what the devil does is he tries to put on a mask and pretend to be God. And so in the book of Revelation, you have this unholy trinity. You have Satan who is trying to act like God the Father. Then you have the Antichrist who is trying to act like God the Son. And then you have the false prophet of the book of Revelation who is trying to act like the Spirit of God. And the false prophet is pointing to the Antichrist. Now, just a quick little uh, rundown on some eschatology here this morning. That's the study of the end times. The Bible teaches us that the church, those who are followers of Jesus, are not destined for wrath. 
That's in 1 Thessalonians, all right? So we're not destined for wrath. The Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and actually rapture the church. Now, if you don't believe that on the way up, I'll be like, I told you so, all right? So that's going to happen. The rapture will occur, and then we will be with Jesus Christ. But here on earth, there will be a seven-year tribulation. Now, whenever the church leaves the globe, obviously everybody's going to be going, what in the world is going on? That will set the scene for Antichrist to begin to step up with all of this wisdom and all of this charisma, and he will actually lead the entire world to experience a time of peace, and he will bring everybody under a one-world government, all right? So this will occur the first three and a half years of the tribulation. But then in the middle of the, the seven-year tribulation, the Bible teaches that the Antichrist will actually have led this huge revival in Israel to rebuild the temple of God, which, by the way, the place where that temple has to be built is the place where the Muslim holy site is located now in Jerusalem. So you've got to imagine this Antichrist is one charismatic leader to be able to get the Muslims to actually turn that particular place over so that Israel can rebuild their temple. But that's what's going to happen. So the temple's going to be rebuilt. That three and a half year mark will mark the time frame when the Antichrist will go inside the newly rebuilt temple. He will sit down on the throne of God in that temple and claim himself to be God. And then he's going to challenge and encourage everybody in the world to worship him. And it'll be at that time that Jacob's trouble will happen. That's an Old Testament phrase that speaks of Israel's trouble, all right? God is going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. That happens with sealed judgments. It happens with trumpet judgments. All of that's mentioned in the book of Revelation as well. But all of heaven is going to be let loose on the earth. And the wrath of God is going to come. Well, the earth is going to assume that it's Israel's fault. And so what they'll do is they'll begin to take up battle array and surround Israel with a desire to wipe Israel from the face of the map. It's going to be this huge battle. You've heard about it before. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And all the world is going to be turned towards Israel. And then at the end of that seven-year tribulation is when all of them will be focused on Israel, getting rid of Israel. And then the Bible says Jesus Christ is coming again to the earth. And whenever Jesus comes, the Bible teaches in Revelation 19, he'll be riding on a white horse. He'll have a name written upon him that nobody knows but himself. He will be faithful and he will be true. And behind Jesus, riding on white horses as well, dressed in robes of white, will be the New Testament church. So you and I will return with Jesus Christ to the earth, and the scripture says that Jesus will open up the word of his mouth, and with the word of his mouth, he will destroy the nations and he will save Israel. So that is a little bit of the end times. Then he will usher us into a millennial kingdom where the Bible teaches that you and I as followers of Jesus will rule and reign with him upon this earth for a thousand years. And what we do during that time will be determined by how we grip God's plan for our life right now. So this is the Antichrist. And what he's saying here, and I'm not going to sit up here and try to tell you who the Antichrist is. Because anybody who tries to name them now is probably crazy anyway. Are y'all listening? But I will tell you, we go a step further in this little verse right here. And he tells those that he is writing to that there are already antichrists who have appeared. In other words, he's saying the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. So he's not talking now about the future Antichrist proper. He's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist that is working right there among them. 
And this is massive because this spirit of the Antichrist, most likely he's pointing the finger at those Gnostics who showed up with this special knowledge about Jesus and started trying to redefine who Jesus was. And they were actually turning people away from the true biblical Jesus. And John is saying, those guys are anti-Christ. And you and I are living in a culture in which the spirit of the Antichrist is at work as well. That's happening right where you live. That's why I love my Bible. People read the Bible and they're like, this isn't relevant. This is all, always relevant. It's amazing here what we see. Think about the spirit of the Antichrist. Whenever you see a group of Muslims beheading 21 followers of Jesus on the Mediterranean Sea, you are looking, bro, at the spirit of the Antichrist at work. Whenever you look in our culture, and especially pop culture, and you hear how they have laced with their trendy beats and their uh, musical rhetoric ideologies that go directly against biblical directives, that is indeed the spirit of the Antichrist at work. And then whenever you consider artwork that's traveling around now with Jesus Christ on the cross depicted submerged in urine and people are paying to see this mess, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. And whenever you see politicians pushing off the truth of Scripture so that they can get a few extra votes, then that is the spirit of the Antichrist at work. And whenever you look today at pastors who are currently in the pulpits and former pastors like Rob Bell, who now are really beginning to encourage people that gay marriage and lesbian marriage is all right, we should just be happy that people love each other, and they're pushing out what Scripture teaches, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And then whenever you begin to listen to movie stars today, they actually try to classify homosexual living and lesbian lifestyles as, check this out, a race that you and I should not oppress, that's the spirit of the Antichrist using a deceitful tongue to try and actually paint sin a different color that would be more successful and more acceptable. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's where we live. This is why it is so valuable and so important for you and I not to get caught up in the world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. We should be gripped by the greatness of our God and be gripped by the reality of his plan. The church, listen, should be so involved in leading people to Jesus Christ, helping each other mature in their faith, influencing others for the sake of the kingdom. That's it. We should be so busy doing that, we ain't got time for the world system. That's our, time is short, man. It's running out on you, it's running out on me. And we've got no time to sit around on this thing and just simply say, well, we'll get around to it maybe when we get a little older. Maybe whenever I get another job. Maybe whenever I get married again. Maybe whenever I get a, a retired. Whenever I experience it, like, get after it now. Right? Our world is in desperate need of the light of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't careful, we put our feet in the world system and we hide the light. And people miss out on the goodness of God. The one we sing about every single week. So time is short. There's a second reason we ought to be gripped by this plan, and that's because people are walking away. The people are walking away. Look at verse 19 in your Bible. The scripture says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out. So that it would be shown, check this out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Now most likely John has 
Again, two concepts in his mind as he's writing this. Whenever he speaks about those who are going out from us, he could very well be describing some individuals who are walking away from doctrinal purity concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're leaving the truths of Christ, they're creating some new ones, all right? And then at the same time, this could also, and I believe it describes, those individuals who are just flat out leaving the fellowship, all right? So they used to show up in church, they used to hang out with the people of God, they used to actually talk about how they believed every single thing that everybody else said they believed, but now they just walk away and they leave. It's known as an apostate. An apostate is simply a person who may have at one point in time in their life mentally ascribed, intellectually subscribed to the truths of Jesus Christ. Jesus came as God in the flesh. They say, I believe that. Jesus came and died on the cross for the sin of the world. They say, I believe that. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb and got up from the dead. They say, oh, I believe that. Jesus is coming again. I believe that. So there are some people who mentally believe that, but in the course of time, somewhere along the line, because they didn't genuinely submit their hearts to that, they never got saved. And so somewhere along the line now, they begin to kind of walk away from doctrinal purity. And so you can run into some of the same people and say, hey, man, do you believe Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? They say, well, I think he's one of the ways, but there might be some other options. You know, I'm kind of open. They say, well, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Well, I don't know if I'll necessarily believe that. You know, I think maybe that was just kind of a, an imaginary tale that was made up in the Scripture, maybe to encourage people or maybe even to scare them. So they completely walk away. They are giving evidence of the reality of their apostate mind. They mentally ascribe to the truths at one time, but then they walked away from them. And the reason they could do that is because they were never genuinely converted. They did not bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So they walk away. And then not only did they walk away from doctrinal purity, but people walk away from the church physically. I want you to think about that for a second, all right? So there are some individuals, John is saying, they're just splitting. They're rolling out. They're no longer coming to worship. They're no longer involved in the New Testament church. They're no longer a part of a family of God. They just kind of walked out. And the reason that they walked out is because they've turned their back on Jesus. They've turned their back on the Lord. They're in an apostate state. They've left. And this happens too in our culture. Uh, individuals do the same thing mentally. Uh, they may come to church every single Sunday and listen to preaching. Sometimes it's biblical. Uh, sometimes they may find a church that preaches stuff that makes them feel a little bit better in their apostate state. And so they listen. And you may be here this morning and be in this state. You're listening and you're like, you know what? I hear you talking, Levi, but man, why do you make such a big deal about it? Why are you so intense about it? And so you just turn your attention away from it. You keep on kind of walking through your little routine in life and you never pay attention to what God's called you to do. And that's an apostate. And then there are some, they walk away. You may run into somebody and say, hey man, I hadn't seen you in fellowship long. Where have you been? Well, I decided I wasn't gonna go back to church anymore. You did, but why in the world did you do that? Well, you know, I'm giving y'all some examples. Are y'all listening? I ain't talking about nobody in particular. They say stuff like this. Well, that preacher was talking about some stuff. I didn't really agree with him, so I just said I'd just roll out. Or somebody hurt my feelings down there, and I just kind of rolled out. So this is where I get a little sideways, all right, because I'm thinking you rolled out on the church because your feelings got hurt. Come on. You're going to let what somebody on earth did to you determine your faithfulness to Jesus and his body? And then there are some, they roll out, and what they're doing is they are using these excuses 
to paint over the reality that they have actually walked away from the Lord. You ever notice it's always somebody else's fault, ain't it? If you run into somebody who's not in church, say, hey, I haven't seen you in church lately. Nobody ever says, well, I'm just a sorry wretch and I ain't been saved yet. Nobody's ever said that to me. Right? They've never said that. It's always somebody else's fault. Always somebody else. Something else, some, some, they did this, they did that, they said this, they said that. This is what's going on. They're a bunch of hypocrites down there. That's the words. They never deal with the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is that they never gave their heart to Jesus. Because listen, if you have genuine fellowship with Jesus Christ, you will desire fellowship with the people of God. And if you have no desire to be among the people of God, check your heart, bro. Something is not right. Those walk hand in hand. People are walking away. Do you know that's happening at a greater rate today than ever before? In fact, Pew researchers, I'm not even making this up, but Pew researchers have actually discovered that since the year 2000 in America, that the trend of people who are going to evangelical churches are actually, is actually going down every single year. So every year since the year 2000, less and less people are going to church. And at the same time, the trend in America is that more and more people are actually saying, according to Pew Research, that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever and that they hardly ever go to church. So you think about that. Decreased attendance, increased rejection. So if we just look at it historically, what we discover is that America is walking the same track that Europe walked. You go over and visit Europe and you study their history, you'll find that there was once a passion for Jesus Christ over in Europe. But somewhere along the line, people started walking away from the doctrinal purity of the gospel, and then before you know it, they begin to walk away completely from the fellowship of God. And now if you go and visit, over in Europe, you'll actually discover that there are massive churches that were built millions or uh, many years ago, and literally now they have become tourist stops. And Krista and I uh, had the opportunity to go over to Vienna, Austria on one occasion, and we took a little tourist walk. And we began to find all kinds of churches, massive churches. We'd walk around, look at the ornate artwork, look at the massively high ceilings, be kind of overwhelmed at all that was going in to that particular building, but it's lifeless. On one occasion, we actually saw some people having a church service in there, had about 20 people inside this massive, massive building, 20. And all around were people walking as tourists, looking at all of the arrangements and the decorations. That's the track we're on. And so when I begin to think about Concord, could you imagine what it would be like several years from now, people are driving up Main Street, right? And all of a sudden, as they drive up Main Street, they begin to look and say, oh, look at there, there's a, there's a place, what is that? That's Concord. Let's go in there and check it out. I've never seen one of those before. And then they come in here and they look. They look at the stage, they look at the pulpit, they look at all the microphones and the lights. All the empty chairs. So how about this? But it's lifeless. It's dead. People are walking away. 
Are y'all listening to the preacher this morning? People are walking away. So what does that mean for you, sir? That means for you, sir, that you have to be, need to be, want to be gripped by the plan of God for your life. Because as people walk away, we are in greater need for the truth of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine. We've been called to make disciples everywhere. That is our calling. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And if we're not careful, we can gather together a bunch of people but be lifeless. Because we're not doing what God's called us to do. Can I give y'all something free that I learned this past week? God bless you. Could you imagine if I go up, and I'm ripping this illustration from a pastor, so I just thought I'd clarify that. Could you imagine if I go to my daughter and say, uh, hey, Maddie, I want you to go clean up your room. And she comes back to me and a couple hours later and says, Daddy, I memorized what you said to me. You memorized what I said to you. I didn't ask you to memorize it. I told you to go and clean your room up. Then she comes back, I don't know, a couple hours later, she says, Daddy, I got some friends coming over this weekend, and we're going to sit around together, and we're going to talk about what it would look like if I did what you told me to do. Maddie, that's not what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to go and clean up your room. It's amazing. You and I, I mean, if you're a parent, you'd be like, that ain't, that ain't happening in our house, right? It's not happening. Why do we think the Lord's any different? Uh, Church, I've asked you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to command all that I have given you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Hey, Jesus, um, we memorize what you said to us. Jesus, I, I'm going to tell you what, we're all going to get together as a church into these, these smaller groups, and we're going to talk about what it would look like if we did what you told us to do. Now, now, are y'all listening to me right now? Look at me eyeball to eyeball, because I'm trying to come with a little love, but also with a little seriousness, all right? Take a little inventory of your life right now, your, your church life, all right? Some of you have been in church all your life. You've memorized what the Lord's told you to do. You've taken 20 Bible studies over what the Lord's told you to do, but you still haven't done it. And think about that. Right? And Jesus is like, why are you calling me Lord? You, ain't doing what I, you, you don't do what I tell you to do. But why are you calling me master and you don't obey my commands? People are walking away. People are leaving. People are walking away. It's time for you to be the light. Why are you trying to call me Lord, but you're not doing what I've asked you to do? It's amazing, isn't it? That's when it gets a little sober, doesn't it? It's like, you know what, you're right. That's what we've done. So in these last days... Time's running out, people are walking away. What does John say to you and I? He says, uh, hey, listen, the reason you need to hold on to God's plan for your life is because this is your calling. This is what God's called you to do. Now, I'm talking to everybody, all right? This isn't just the preacher. This is every single person who knows Christ. All of us have been called to this task. Absolute dependence, spiritual development, dynamic influence. That encompasses the idea of making disciples. And he says, it's your calling. And I love how he lays it out here in verse 20. Look at your Bible again. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
and you all know. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, what is he talking about here when he talks about the anointing? And I got to hustle up here, so y'all look at me, I'm going to go quick, all right? Now, whenever you study Old and New Testament, the word anointing is pretty clear, uh, pretty uh, well-found and well-defined. In the Old Testament, the idea of anointing was to set someone or something aside for a specific plan or purpose. So if you think about the priest of the Old Testament, all right, whenever they anointed them to be involved in the work of the uh, temple of God, they would actually take these large jars of oil and they would pour them on the heads of the priests until the oil was completely dripping all the way down their body. That was the idea of anointing that person to do work in the temple. Now, fast forward to the New Testament here. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. The Bible says that every single person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ has received an anointing. And that anointing is not oil being poured out over your life. That anointing is the application of the Holy Spirit to your heart. So, so listen to this. We have the anointing of the Spirit of God to do what? To do what? I mean, why did God give us the Spirit to live on the inside of us? What was the point? Jesus says it like this, uh, when the helper comes, whom I'm going to send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Listen to what he says. Here, here's why the spirit of God lives inside of you as a believer. Jesus says, he will testify of me. Acts 1.8 says it this way, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So why has God given us the Spirit? Why this anointing? So we can be his witnesses. So we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. So we can be involved in God's plan for our life. And listen, what gives us the boldness, what empowers us to actually share Jesus is not some courage we muster up. It's the Spirit of God at work in our life. When the Spirit of God gives you the courage, then you testify of Jesus. Talk about Him where you live. Talk about Him where you work. You talk about Him where you play. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I hear you talking, Levi, but I've not been talking about Jesus very much to anybody, then look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball for a second. Right, I want to share with you something. All right, This is true. All right, Listen, listen, listen. You are quenching the Spirit of God in your life. The Spirit testifies of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. So if you find that you're not testifying to Jesus, then you're pouring water on the Spirit of God in your life. Or the Spirit of God doesn't even reside in you. This is our calling. What else would we do? I think that's a pretty good question. That wasn't in my notes. This is our calling. What else will we do? What else, what else are we doing here? Did y'all come down here just to watch me holler and sweat? I mean, really, really. Is this really what you came to do? Or did you come saying, I'm a witness of Jesus Christ, and I want to be equipped to better be a missionary for him? I got to close this one out. Got this from uh, Pete Talton. It's an hourglass. Y'all seen these before? Some of you right now are singing the Days of Our Lives song in your heart. <laughs> and I say, shame on you. You shouldn't watch that. 
If you think about this, I want you to think about this kind of represents your life. You, just you as an individual. This isn't like all of us, this is just you. And God has allotted so much sand in your life. Here's how much I'm gonna give you. Here's how much time on the earth I'm giving you. And every single day, more sand drops out of that. More sand, more sand, more sand, all the way to the bottom. And the question is, are you gonna take the allotted sand that God has given to you and be gripped by his plan? Or are you just gonna hem haw through life? Let all the sand drip out and be there at the bottom. Because check this out, one day you're gonna stand before Jesus as a follower of Jesus, and you're gonna give an account for your sand. And everything that you did that made no impact for the kingdom, all the things that you thought were so stinking important today are gonna burn up in the sight of Christ. And only the things that you do for eternity are gonna last. Those things become like precious gold and silver, crowns, to be cast at the feet of the Savior who one day stepped out of heaven, had just about 33 years worth of sand, and said, I'm coming to give every single thing I have for you. Time is so short. People are walking away. This right here, this is your calling. What else are you going to do? Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge that we have. Father, I pray for those who are present today who mentally may have ascended to the truths of the gospel, but their hearts have not yet surrendered. Call them to salvation right now, I beg you. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you've not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your life has not been changed, you've not experienced transformation, you've not stepped out of darkness into the light, now is your opportunity. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today I'm inviting you to make a decision to follow the God who created you. If you reject him, you will suffer the consequences of your sin in hell for eternity. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you, to be buried and resurrected. Jesus paid the penalty of your sin on the cross at Calvary. And this morning, some of you need to receive him by faith, trusting in what he has done for your life. So with heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, if you say, Levi, that's me, man, I need to give my life to Jesus, then you pray right where you are like this. Just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved. So this morning I'm turning from my sin and I'm trusting in you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. And thank you for his resurrection. Today I am turning from sin and I wanna become a follower of yours. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you say, Levi, that's the prayer of my heart this morning. Now listen, in a moment, we're gonna stand to our feet. I'm gonna invite you to come forward. I know that's gonna take courage, but God has anointed you with courage through the Spirit. Just now, if you've given your life to Him. I'll be here in the front of other pastors as well. We wanna pray for you, set you up an opportunity in the days ahead to be baptized. And listen, some of you have given your heart to Jesus, but you've not been baptized yet. Don't sit in your seat, sir. You be obedient to what God's called you to do. And the invitation will be for you as well. We'll be here in the front waiting. 
Or God may be calling you to partner with this church, become a member. You're like, make disciples everywhere. I want to get on that wagon. I want to be a part of that. Then you're invited. We'd love to have you. Love to see how God would use you. So you come. Father, the invitation is yours as always. We pray that you would work in our midst, give people courage to come forward this morning and not turn from you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing this morning, you come.